Hi everyone, this is Kalen Matei and welcome to Creator as a Business, a show about the business side of being a creator with an initial focus on educational creators and the future of learning. Today's guest is Scott Mayer, who's the founder of Ed3.gg, a consultancy and studio working to scale education. He has a weekly newsletter at digest at ed3.gg, which will also be in the description, where he provides insights at the intersection of Web3 and education. He previously launched an entrepreneurship center at a university, built an accelerated education program for adult learners, served as city counselor, and ran a digital marketing agency. He's also a proud and busy father to four, and is based in Fargo. Yes, like the movie. In today's interview, me and Scott talk about mostly where do we see the future of learning go? What is education to begin with? Like, what is this old system, the current system that we have, which we call education, which is old, static, and happens in a classroom? And what is the premise of this emergent, kind of like decentralized movement facilitated by by Web3 and blockchain? So we talk about both of those things. What is the current system? What is the new system? We talk about the challenges of transitioning to from one to another, as well as ways in which we can actually do that and opportunities that he sees in the future of education and the benefits that will create to the world. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Feel free to share with educators around you, educational creators and people around them, such as managers, teams, and so forth. Looking forward to your thoughts as well as feedback on the podcast. Feel free to follow and connect with Scott on his Twitter as well as his LinkedIn and website, which we're going to have links below. And um, see you in the next episode. Thank you so much. Hi everyone. Hey Scott. Hey Olympia. Thank you for thank you Scott for for joining us uh, in today's podcast, and I'm looking forward to today's conversation. Great to be here. Awesome. So Scott, as we talked just a tiny bit before we started, I think what will be very interesting because people would already know a bit about your background by the time they they get to this point in the podcast. I would think it would be really interesting for you to maybe share just a high level thesis that you have around education and like what do you think the core problems are where are we right now and where do you think we're going and potential solutions we'll dive into web3 and as you call it ed3 which i think is kind of cool play on words i think that's cool so curious about maybe setting up the stage high level with what your thesis is on education how do we got here and where where do you think we're going from here yeah yeah i think education is a lifelong sport something that we need to move away from being something you do till you're 18 or 22 to something you do your entire life. Sometimes people will say, you know, K to gray or, and, you know, I think it's something that we're going to increasingly need. We know that technology is quickening, not slowing. And what we learned five years ago is probably out of date, let alone for those of us who went to school more than 10, 15, 20 years ago. So I think the core issue is we need to keep learning and we need to democratize that. So we need more access. Education needs to be for everyone. It is one of the key ways to ensure human flourishing. And, you know, it's, it's one of the core uh, rights of the United Nations, right? The right to education. And so we need to think about how can we best get meaningful education that, that is continuous and, and up to date to the most people. And I think that's where technology has a role to play. I think that's where we can learn from what's working. And we can even think about there's some advantages to people who haven't had education where they can leapfrog, you know, some of the systems and the legacy models we have to, to bring the most up-to-date education to their communities. So those are some things I'm really fascinated by. 
uh, and and focused on scaling up education. So what it feels to me like you're saying is fundamentally the the problem is is just increasing the amount of people that get access to the education in general because they don't have anything right now. So for them, getting something is like exponentially better than nothing. So when I'm hearing that, the first thing that comes into my mind is well. Well, let's say let's let's say that a big portion of the planet doesn't have internet, which is obviously you can't do anything if you don't have internet. You can't do much. There's something there's something you can do. But when you're thinking about platforms that are just just purely content platforms like YouTube and social media platforms and things like that, where do you think that doesn't make sense because that's not real education or maybe that's not sufficient? Where 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 do you think those platforms are not enough in terms of actually providing education to those people if they have internet? Yeah, I think the the best way to, to really learn is to do, right? So how do you move from knowledge distribution to taking action? I kind of think about education as like three stages. So in my mind, the ed one world is institutions where we had libraries and places people went to, to learn. Like you had to go there because that's where the people in the books were. I think in the ed two world, you had distribution. So you have YouTube, you have Udemy, you have Khan Academy. So now like accessing the information is is not the problem but i think what changes now in in the web or in the ed3 world is that people can actually take action and they can get opportunity from that like if i watch a youtube video you don't know if i watched it you don't know if i really learned it you don't know much about that personally i might move forward in my thinking but we need a way to connect those learners with opportunities and with accreditation and you know get that video from youtube to a pathway, right? Moving them towards something. So, so I don't think, uh, it's, I think watching YouTube is great. You know, it's probably the best library there is, right? But um, just going to the library doesn't, doesn't mean you can do something. You have to actually practice it. So that's where we need to connect students and learners with opportunities too. Okay. And further down on, on that specific, specific point, like just from my own personal research, looking into educational platforms, like what Harvard did with edX.org and things like that, that in theory, sound great because you're providing all this knowledge to the world for free. But like when you look at the completion rates and actually how many people actually learn something is like very, very slim. So I'm curious, what do you see is the solution to that? And potentially this is where we can kind of dive into your thesis around Web3 and how this can align incentives and solve some of those problems. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing is, you know, that's always an interesting debate because I'd rather have, you know, completion rate for something like Udemy or, or edX, you know, it's usually less than 10%, right? Five to 8%, something like that. But it is five to 8% of millions and millions of people, right? So it is in aggregate, a lot of people finishing stuff. And also completion is kind of an old school mindset from the traditional world where you have to finish the class to get the stamp. And I think we're moving to a world where people are going to come in and out and they're going to come get they don't need to stay for the whole class. And so when we think about atomizing education, like breaking it into little pieces, and a lot of times people are working on this with skills, so skills-based networks, I think we're going to see more people come in and just do one specific thing or do one specific task. Or, you know, in the Web3 world, you see people do what are called bounties, where there's basically a small task that someone can go do and get paid for, and you don't get hired full-time. You just come do the gig, right? It's kind of gig economy online in a way. So I'm not too concerned about the lower completion rates. We know that the best model of education is have a mentor or a teacher right next to you, right? If we could all have an individual teacher, that'd be better. 
if we had one teacher for 10 students, that's better. If we had one teacher for 100 students in a classroom, that's probably better, right? But we know for accessibility, there's no way that's going to work. And then in lots of parts of the world, and that doesn't even, when we say lots of places in the world, it's not even like poor places. Like there just might not be someone in my hometown that knows anything about the history of Mesopotamia, right? Or someone who knows something about blockchain development, right? And so I want the ability for anyone anywhere to learn what they want. And uh, to do that, we need to open up. And that's why I think distribution platforms are great, but until we connect those with outcomes, um, they're not going to be as strong. Um, I think more people will do completion as we think about incentives, like you talked about, when they know that if I finish this, I'll be able to do this next thing. That makes a lot more sense than just, I get a piece of paper. Yeah. And and where do you think, because this is where I think maybe Olympia can chime in because she shared a very interesting perspective before we started on just when she kind of got into the Web3 world, the amount of emotions that and the overwhelm, like complexity, like wallets and all this craziness and everything else. I'm curious, maybe you can share just a tiny bit before that on how do you think Ed3 looks like now and what do you think the thesis is around that? And maybe Olympia can chime in with your experience and we can kind of talk about talk about like how how that could work out for education. Yeah. 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 When I talk about Ed3, I think my favorite definition is really just technology powered individual learning. So we don't even have to get into like a lot of tech. It's basically the idea of a individual being able to learn whatever they want at their own pace, you know, own topic. And it's going to be tech enabled. And so that's like a very generic definition that that speaks to the promise of Web3 technology. So Web3, you know, is kind of the umbrella term for decentralized technologies that allow us to, you know, to own what we what we do. So instead of, uh, you know, a company like Facebook or Google profiting off of our information, we actually own our personal information. And so when we think Ed3, sorry, now I lost the question. So remind me what, what no, your, no your problem. question was. What, what I was trying to figure out is how do you think Web3 can actually help education? Because when I look in the world, sure. I obviously see these emerging new educational brands are happening. We obviously see the old kind of like systems slowly dying off because they're not fit to the environment and people just going to other places like where we're part of right now with crypto society and like there's your contributor there and there's like people all over. So I'm just curious, how do you see Web3 solving some of the education problems? Because it's not, it's not obvious, at least to me. And yeah. I'm curious in your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, I think that the simple answer is Web3 makes everything into like building blocks that can be reconstructed in whatever way you want. So composability is a word that you hear a lot, which is essentially kind of heralds back to open source software days, which is I can take anything that I see and use it and remix it and edit it and stack it. And so in the education world, this is really exciting because now I can make my own pathways. And so I can go get the lecture from the history of Mesopotamia and I can go get the math class over here and I can go do a internship here and learn something from that person and, and put it all together into this is my learning experience, right? This is my platform. And then the, the students own that. They have their own, they're in charge of their own learning, you know? So I think that's the, the promise of, you know, Ed3 is essentially like building blocks of education. In terms of problems it solves, another huge problem it solves is just verifying learning, right? So as an employer, if I want to hire someone, a lot of times I'm going to decide if what they learned is valid just by who gave the stamp, right? So the school that you went to, I know what that, I know that's an actual school. I've heard of it. 
And so I'm going to trust that whatever you learned is enough that you can work for me. But I think where we see technology pushing it is that we can verify learning now and, and Web3 technology is really good at this so that if you've done XYZ, you can now apply for this job. And, you know, early days you saw Google doing this and others saying, hey, if you take the Google Analytics certificate, you can apply for a job at Google and we'll equate that to a bachelor's degree. Uh, it doesn't mean you're going to get the job, right? But you get the foot in the door to apply. And that's really exciting when you think about people around the world. I mean, think about where, where you're located in Eastern Europe right now, and we have 2 million refugees all of a sudden from Ukraine. And how are they going to get their transcript, right, to get a job? They're not, right? And it's we need to be able to prove that these people, wherever they are, can do these jobs. And it's incredibly exciting for increasing the the living standards of people around the world, because now it doesn't matter where you live or what school you went to, because you can prove you have the skills needed to do the work. And as more and more jobs go online, you don't have to move, right? You can stay where you are. So, so I think the promise of like Web3 and education is just like we talked about at the beginning, accessibility, accreditation, and I think affordability is going to be the other one where it's going to be low or free, like it is in a lot of parts of the world, not in the United States, but also you might be able to earn money by learning, which will be really exciting. So um, I call that the AAA education, right? So affordable, uh, accredited, and uh, accessible. That's great. That's exciting. So, uh, yeah. um, so Olympia, to build on that, can you share your experience? Just like kind of what's your perceptive perception of the emotions you had, advantages and disadvantages of Web3 and yeah, kind then... of talk about that? Yeah. Thank you, Scott. That's very interesting. And I was actually thinking about the digital portfolios that we are uh, advising people uh, from K-12 to universities and beyond that uh, to use. And there are NGOs around the world building that. So in today's world, like my son, he's 14, and basically his digital portfolio says more than any other exam or certification that he will get in, in his life. He's a builder and a designer already. So besides the digital portfolios, these transcripts, what other tools, like practical schools, do you see around the world building the bridge in between now and at three that maybe our listeners could uh, find out about? One of the things I'm really trying to encourage students and teachers to think about now is just how do you create the, the basic tools to be able to go have these experiences online? And so one of the core entry points is to have a wallet. So a digital wallet is essentially where you're keeping all of your stuff online. And so just like your son has a, a portfolio now, that portfolio can live online and can be verifiable. So everything that he has made or, or done lives on the technology we call the blockchain. It's basically a huge spreadsheet that everyone can see. And so I know that he made that website or he designed that logo or he uh, did this one task. So one of the companies I love doing this is rabbithole.gg. And this is a site where you go and you do, yeah, you guys know it. So you, you know, you do tasks online and they're able to show that you have done it, right? Because they can see that your wallet has transacted. You've signed a contract to do this task. So essentially it's proof of a portfolio. So in a classroom, a teacher would say, yeah, you did this because I watched you do it. You turned it in. I looked at it. When we think about people who don't have access to a classroom or people who are doing this at night after doing a job, you know, they don't have time to go to a traditional school or class. Um, this opens up the opportunity for them. Essentially, they have a teacher that's stamping it, except it's it's the blockchain that's stamping it instead of a teacher. So I think that's the first thing I think about is how do we get students as early as possible to learn about wallet security, about opening a wallet, 
and then starting to build that on-chain portfolio because that's the the piece that can get them hired at any age. You know, uh, I, I told you before we hit record that just a couple of weeks ago, I was teaching a fifth grade class in India about creating wallets and um, they learned how to design POAPs, which is a kind of NFT. It's basically a kind of like a, a, a badge, right? When you do something, you get a POAP that shows you've done it. And so now these fifth graders, like they're using Canva, they're making really simple, but fun designs. And like, you could go hire them, right? Now they have an, a way to accept money in their wallet. So you could send them uh, Ethereum or you could send them Bitcoin or whatever. They could send the POAP back to you. And like, they're now citizens of the metaverse, right? Making money, creating things, being able to explore. And, you know, I think for schools, like, you're not going to hold someone's hand the whole way down the rabbit hole. You're going to give them the tools and say, if you're interested, go explore. Right. And so I think that's what a 14 year old should do now is just try the different key uh, elements of, you know, web three. So opening a wallet, um, you know, going to something like rabbit hole and doing the tasks and then see if any of that interests you so you can go deeper. And if we talk about adult learning, can we do something more maybe because credibility is a very important thing for adults they need to know that something that you've done everything you have in your wallet is actually important and kind of certified we are mm -hmm. still in the mentality of certified by some institutions so are there any i don't know tools for adults because we are helping creators build their own universities communities we see we are still using the old words universities academies Although these are new things, yeah. um, uh, what kind of tools do you see for adults? Yeah, I think that's funny that, you know, it's, that's usually how technology goes, where it mimics what existed before. So the first movies were essentially video recording plays, you know, so they set up a camera and recorded the play. And then they realized you could put the camera at different angles, right? Like you didn't have to just have it as a flat thing. So you start to learn. And I think exactly what you said, we're going to see new variations of this that are digitally native and web three native first. What I would encourage adults to do is think less about how do I get more credentials and how do I build up more skills and then hope that someone hires me and instead go do it. You know, um, there's a lot of sites where you can earn bounties. You can basically get paid. And as you do those tasks, those are building your portfolio. So you really can get, you can earn money. You can earn a cryptocurrency or, you know, earn it in uh, USDC, which is essentially like a fiat currency and get the experience. So, I mean, one of my favorite is Gitcoin, which is, a, they, they work on public goods. So there's a lot of really cool projects there that you can do. And then the second thing I would encourage adult learners to do is to find an organization that matches your interests. And a lot of times these are called DAOs. So it stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization, but these are essentially organizations that are working on some kind of mission together. And it's people are able to come and join and participate. And some of my best friends and some of my best like professional opportunities have come from just working and spending time in these, in these groups, because it's people who are aligned in terms of mission. And then also they need work done and they often have money. They have a treasury to invest. And so a good way to get started, you can go to DAOcentral.com, D-A-O-Central.com is one site where you can search DAOs. A lot of them are, you know, started in the developer space. So there's a lot of technical ones, but there's others, you know, if you're a designer, if you're into sports, if you're into these other things. Um, so, you know, there's a, there's a DAO that I'm a part of and, and people listening might be interested in called Ed3DAO, which is essentially the first organization by educators for educators. 
So we're trying to onboard 100,000 teachers uh, into Ed3. So how do you teach and learn about Web3 in the education space? And so you can join, you can learn. And then we have, you know, down the road, we're looking at how do we offer bounties for people who want to build new educational experiences? Like we'll actually support you financially to do that. So, so for the adult learners, it's not about information gathering. Like any of us can go on YouTube, as we talked at the beginning, and learn. It's the doing piece. And so I would just encourage those adults to like go do. And that's, you're going to learn along the way, but you're also going to meet people and, and uh, you know, earn money along the way too. I have a and question. If we'll look, go for yeah, it. Yeah. Sure, go, no, no, you're... I wanted to ask what is on the other side of the creator? And that's, and then I, uh, I leave you, Katrin, to ask the Yeah, no question. worries. Go for it. Mm -hmm. So on the other side, we talked about the learner. Now, if you look at the educators, so imagine you are the best subject matter experts on the planet in project management, and you refuse to teach in a classic university because, I don't know, you're tired of the system or whatever. What would you do? So I just missed the very beginning of the question. So if I'm a subject matter expert in project management, yes. uh, the, the best one the in the world, yeah, the best one in the world, yeah. and you do not want to teach in a university in a classic format. So what what would you do? Sure. Yeah. I mean, this is how I spend most of my day as I help people build scalable online classes that people can sign up for. So there's a couple ways to think about it. I mean, the easy, the quick way is, is you build an online course that people can, can purchase. So you can go to teachable.com. If you're trying to do like an asynchronous video course, um, you can check out Maven. If you're thinking like a cohort based course where they log in and join you disco is another platform, you know, so there's lots of tools out there that essentially helps you to, to teach your thing. But the dirty secret about all of that is you first need to have an audience. It's really hard to just get people all of a sudden to sign up. So you need people to you need to have a list. So I think the very first thing someone should do if they're the expert or they're one of the top 1% in their space is start writing and start a newsletter because you're going to get people to subscribe. And when you have a course to sell, you can email all of them and say, Hey, you've been reading, you know, that I'm trustworthy because you've read my stuff or you've seen my tweets or whatever it might be. Now, if you want to take this course and go deeper, you can. So I would immediately start building a list as a creator. Like, how do you get people to follow you? Ideally, it's an email list because you own that versus a Twitter following, which is you can't reach all those people. They might not see you. Twitter might not show you on the on the homepage, whatever. Um, so build the list. And then I would think about how do you create a paid version? Typically, another good way to build a list and even a product potentially is, is just start with a 45-minute kind of webinar version of the thing that you're passionate about. So if you're an expert at project management, host a webinar, invite people to come. Maybe it's free because you want to get signups and then see what questions they have and say, hey, I'll do another session about that. It's a hundred bucks. If you want to sign up, here's the form, right? So you can, you can really use um, webinars as a way to test content, to create excitement around who you are and what you're offering and then sell it. I think the second stage that I'm seeing things moving towards is what happens when the knowledge or the content is not the product, uh, but instead the community is? And so I think people who are thinking long-term are saying, hey, like project management, like I'm really good at it. I'm good at teaching it. I get people excited. But again, you can go find that anywhere, right? Like there's no shortage of information. So how do I become the party host that brings the most interesting people together? And so you're going to come take my class because you'll learn the stuff. But more importantly, you're going to meet your future colleague or your future employer or your future collaborator, right? So 
if you are in that position to be well connected or to have, you know, respect of other people in the space, I think that's a better long-term play because someone who buys a course will take it once, but someone who's in the community will keep paying to be a part of that community if they're getting value from it. So, so those are a few like high level models and we can get into specifics if you want. I do spend a lot of time in that space. So I, I know a lot of the tricks, I guess, and the, the models. So I'm happy to talk more if you'd like. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Let, let me add something, and then we can talk on some models. I I love this stuff. <laughs> so uh, Scott, just just want to acknowledge you quickly. Like when I was listening to you, I just realized that there's such an openness and flexibility to your to you. Like you're basically, I'm, I'm assuming there's not a lot of your colleagues in traditional environments that are into this stuff. So right. I just I, I I just think that's very inspiring of of you and really anybody, but we see a lot of these like 19 year olds into web three and everything else. But on your side, you know, you have been doing something on a traditional environment and now you're transitioning to this. I think that's very inspiring and good to good. I mean, good for you um, in general. So just want to acknowledge you quickly. And then I have a question. What we're seeing and kind of what our thesis is in general is that we see that there's going to be a lot of major brands built around creators. And it's not obvious why, if you think about it superficially, like why would, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but, and then when we look at what we call educational creators or knowledge creators, what we're kind of talking about now, it seems like there's a lot of, basically the education gets decentralized into micro universities around these people. And they can be just the party host, as you said, or they can be the experts. So it's top down community, like they mm-hmm. teach everybody or they ju- they're just the igniter that brings the right people together, whatever is their role or their function. And they have pros and cons and some people like to do one or the other. I'm curious, why do you think that is? Or do you see it that way? Like, why do you think people gather around? So the information is the same. I know how to do this math exercise and you know how to do it. But for some reason, people follow you and not me. And you have, you're doing a million dollars a year teaching people how to do these math exercises. And I know the same information, but nobody comes to me. Why do you think that is? And why do you think this is, this is a trend that's, that's happening? Or maybe I'm wrong, but what are your thoughts on this? I think it's trust, mostly. You know, I think if people are going to go, we might have, we might score the same on a test, right? Or we know the same knowledge, but people trust me. And that is often from, you know, in the web free world, you call it proof of work, but essentially like, what have you done? You know, so if you just show up and you know, in your head, you're the smartest person in the room, but no one else does, it doesn't matter, right? You need to prove that you are the smartest person. And it's not always smarts, obviously too. It's also like, delivery and it's uh, care and empathy, right? So you need to demonstrate those things. And so I think people who have audiences have just built up the trust over time by showing up. And that's the hard part is showing up. So it's actually the, the easy part. And that's what students hate to hear. Like the easy part is learning the stuff, like reading the assignment, watching the video, writing the paper. The hard part is actually being brave enough to say, I made this, right? Like I took that information. I tried to create something. What do you think? Because as soon as you say like, what do you think? Or I made this, you're opening yourself up for criticism. Like that's exactly what you're asking for, right? Is like, give me your feedback. And that's scary because we don't like to be criticized. We don't want to be told it's not bad when we spend all this time on it. But the thing we learn and we know is that the first thing's always bad. So like, you might as well get it out as fast as you can, because it's going to be bad. It's not going to be right. And so if you're a course creator, if you're a, a creator of any kind, you got to make a hundred videos before you know what you're doing. You got to teach a course 10 times. And so I think it's helpful to think about how do you make it as fast and small as possible. So instead of working for six months to build a course and then trying to sell, you know, a a month long cohort based course, like 
that's a really heavy lift and you might be teaching the wrong thing or you might be trying to sell it to the wrong people. So instead, you know, write a newsletter, right? Do a one hour webinar, do the, the small version and do that as many times as you can because then you'll get good and you'll build trust. And then when you're ready to, to make the sell, like you'll have an audience ready for you. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. And what are your thoughts on, and Olympia, feel free to chime in, but what are your thoughts on, because I see two types of opportunities. So for an educational creator, there's products they can build around them. So for example, the the founder of the crypto like culture society that is built, like really Bomic is more of a party host. It's not really the the the, yeah. the top down person there. At the same time, there's like an emerging type of educational brand, like vertical education brand that's like focused on like a very specific niche, something well, Ondik is not so specific anymore, but you can say, okay, Silicon Valley tech skills is what Ondik is focused on and Reforge and Code Academy and Code.org. So what do you think the role these types of vertical brands have to play? And do you think they will kind of aggregate creators uh, into them instead of creators being on their own, maybe for uh, the purpose of what you said, to be able to handle more of the learning journey uh, instead of just yeah. somebody? What do you think about that? I wrote an article on this recently called The Smiling Dow Curve, and it's essentially a play on a piece called The Smiling Curve. And so this was originally put forth by in like the semiconductor industry. And but basically what, what people see, and I think the easiest examples in media is that in the tech world, you see kind of value accruing to two edges. And if you put value as like a vertical axis, and the, the horizontal axes as like discovery to creation, like it essentially makes the shape of a smiley face. And then the value is accruing to either individuals who are super niche and very knowledgeable. So this would be in the media industry, like a Substack writer, right? So you see these people who are writing their own paid newsletter, Ben Thompson's a great example, or Packy McCormick, where it's like, I'm writing about this incredibly narrow thing. I'm gonna charge you 10 bucks a month. I can have as many people subscribe, you know, as as want to. And so I can make way more money than I would as a salaried newspaper reporter, right? Because the newspaper has to has to pay for all these things. So on one end, you have like the, the niche content creator. On the other end, you have the aggregator like a Facebook or a Google, which is taking all of the writers, putting them together. So I can just log into one place and get something that I want. You know, it's like Netflix versus maybe an independent movie producer. So what I see is that you're going to end up at one of those ends. You're either going to become incredibly niche and the best at this specific thing, or you're going to be the aggregator getting all the people doing all the things. And as a niche content creator, you can then sell that thing to all these different aggregators or all these different colleges or all these different schools, or you can be the school that's bringing all these different people in. So you offer classes that people want, regardless of what they want to learn. So I think there's going to be, you know, even further kind of, value accrual to the edges and people are going to have to decide like, do I want to be an aggregator, which is really hard, or am I going to become an expert, which I think more people like that we're probably talking to in this podcast are probably going to become the expert side of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Olympia, do you want to add anything on top of this? I, I was curious, Scott, if you can, you can see any, not, not the disadvantages, I wouldn't say disadvantages, uh, but I look at the list of things that are difficult in Ed3 or in the transition to this, like overwhelm, because this is something I have to deal with on a daily basis. Like people are overwhelmed starting from the onboarding in such a community. Like how do I, okay, I got in, but wow, it's too much. So any advice there? 
or is the list bigger? Is there anything else after the overwhelm that you have seen and we don't know about? <laughs> yeah, the overwhelm is real. And I think it'll get better as people learn how to do onboarding better. But it is the overwhelm is also part of the learning, I would say right now, you know, that's kind of forcing you to figure it out. I think the biggest mistake I've made and I see other people make is just trying to get involved in too many things because there is a big learning curve. And once you master it for one community or one topic area, it's a lot easier than to expand to others. So I would just encourage people pick one community. So if you are an educator and you want to learn about Web3, like come to the Ed3DAO and we have, you know, onboarding into our larger community. And then where you do cohorts with individuals so that you're working with a small group of people. And then we have bounties where you can earn money. So it's like, you can learn a lot through that process. And then every other community you're going to be a part of is going to have similar steps, right? So, so I think just, I would, I would try to focus on a couple places. Invisible College is another really great one if you're trying to learn about Web3. And that's like an online learning place. And so you can get in for free. And then if you want to go deeper, you can buy an NFT and have access to additional courses. So you can kind of start free, start small, and then expand. So I would just pick one and then um, just know it, it is real. And the problem with online, the metaverse stuff is it's never off, right? It's not like eight to five and now I can go relax. So you really do have to set personal limits because you could stay up checking your phone, uh, you know, reading, talking to people like there's always someone there, right? And so I think mental health and, and, and burnout is a huge issue. And so people really have to figure out their own schedules and how you manage that, I think, individually too. And who do you think are some of the players that are doing this well right now? Like you mentioned Rabbit Hole. I love Rabbit Hole. I think they're great. And it adds like, to me in my head is like, okay, first I'm going to do, let's say university is the least motivational on the axis. I'm going to do something. I don't know why. I don't know if I'm going to use it, but I'm going to do it to get a certification. Then next layer is I do something because I want to, and I know why I'm doing it. And then the ultimate layer is I'm doing something. I know it's useful and I'm also getting paid for it. So, yeah. so I yeah. think, I think they're kind of doing that very smartly. Like, do you know, what do you think they're doing right? And what do you think are some other players that have at least currently done kind of like the ed three kind of intention well until until date at least because we don't know the future yeah yeah i think a lot of them are focused on development right now because that's sort of the first thing that that web3 needs is more developers so build space is a, is a really good one third web i really like if you want to be like a no coder in the web3 space that's a really good community i mentioned so those would be ones that if you're like trying to get a cert certification of some kind, get hired, because what they do is they teach you a skill and they have a job board and they can spit you out into positions. So the cool thing about those is they're all free, right? Like the way they make their money is by bringing employers, employees, right? So their whole motivation is how do we get more people trained? And it's all done very natively web three, meaning like asynchronous, doesn't matter in time zone, you're using Discord to communicate, everything's online. You know, what I love about what Rabbit Hole does is that it's all on chain. So everything you learn is documented. And so you can prove to anyone that you've done it. In terms of others, like, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of go towards the learning DAOs because that's where you also build the, the human connection. I think a lot of people, like you said, don't finish uh, Udemy or edX class. And it's going to be the same with BuildSpace or with, uh, you know, Third Web or whatever. And so if you can get into, or if you want to join a learning DAO like uh, Invisible College or culture, crypto, and society, or Ed3DAO, like those are all places where you could talk to people and get personal help. So that's really helpful. Like you said, getting overwhelmed, being able to talk to a human is really helpful. If you're into sports, one of the best onboarding is actually a DAO called Krause House. 
K-R-A-U-S. And their goal is to buy a basketball team, an NBA team. Um, but what they do is so fun is like they have what they call draft classes. So if you join today, you're part of the spring draft class. And then you go through kind of training with these other spring draftees. So it's very on brand and it's very, you know, kind of fun that way. I've also seen a lot of people get onboarded through NFTs, you know, so if you like art, if you're interested in a little bit different angle, like I, I'm a huge fan of Crypto Coven, which is a female led created NFT project. And their, their uh, community online is incredibly welcoming. So a lot of people who bought those NFTs, it was the first time they ever bought anything. So there's a lot of people talking there about how to do, you know, Web3 stuff, how to invest, how to buy cryptocurrency, how to go learn. So, so yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot and there's going to be more. This is just accelerating at an incredible pace. And I mentioned Get Gitcoin as well. I think that's a really good, interesting one because they're working on, to me, like what matters, which is how do we create public goods in the internet? So what does it look like to, you know, solve climate change with decentralized finance? Or what does it look like to increase access to education? You know, so like some big world challenges that when we have this new tool of decentralized collaboration, like what can we do with it? And to, to your point from earlier, Olympia, it's not, it's not creating the exact same things we have. Like we don't need to create another government or we don't need to create another, you know, something that looks like the real world. We can create a brand new version. We just don't know what that is. So we need everyone listening to try to help us figure what it, figure out what it is, I think. Well, the only thing I want to recreate in the online is the fireplace where people gather yeah. together. And, you know, that, that's something that um, if you know how to create, please share. Online, <laughs> you, you mean? Know, the I connection. The best, yeah, the, the yeah, connection. I think the people doing that best, um, there's a group called Kernel. If you've heard of that one, it's like a, it's a learning community and it's fairly small. So you apply to get in, but they bring together people who are thinking about technology and society and they do kind of like a six to eight week sort of um, round the fire sort of model where you talk, you figure out something you're interested in, and then you go research it and bring it back and share with the group. So it's very much like project-based learning, individualized learning online, which is interesting. Yeah. So uh, just, just a note on that. And then um, I think we can have like one or two questions in, in conclusion. Something that came to my mind is when I'm thinking of the way people in the past connected with each other, especially like you would, you'd say, like you would go back to 1800s in Paris or London or things of that nature. People kind of like gathered in these, well, not secret meetings, but like meetings between like poets and artists and all these people kind of gathered together. And that was like a, well, relatively special thing in my opinion, that now with COVID, of course, something that happened is the barrier of, locally being somewhere has been removed, which is great. At the same time, kind of that's exactly what Olympia mentioned, that power of being physically present, there's something there, like the apprenticeship model that you, you're kind of elucidating in the beginning that is kind of like the best model. I think there's something to implicit learning that comes from being next to people uh, that's beyond words uh, to say. That's very, very valuable. So I'm trying to figure out how would that look like in the metaverse, whatever the heck will be, will be happening. But I think that's very interesting because there's like, to me, it feels like there's like 80% of the transfer between people happens beyond words. So it's very interesting to see how that happens in a world where you can like atomize learning, where you can have everything written down and created and everything else. But yeah, I, I, I'm curious, any thoughts on that, but uh, just a sharing uh, perspective. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the closest thing I've seen is, you know, there's a number of like hackathons online where you can put up an idea, find people that are interested, and then you work on it for a week or two weeks or whatever. I think it's similar to education. We're like, yeah, it'd be better if we all had our individual teacher tutor, but that's not realistic financially or accessibility wise. And it's kind of the same thing. Like, yeah, I'd probably rather have a beer with you and talk about this, like around a microphone in person, but we wouldn't be able to. So I'd rather have the conversation than not. Right. So I think uh, we're going to find that it's not going to be as good in some ways, but it's going to be better in others, which is everyone can participate. You know, like you said, everyone that can get online can participate and that really diversifies who's showing up. It's mm. not just people who are wealthy or people who are in the right geographies. And so, you know, you, know, you talk about the poets in Paris or in Vienna or whatever, and it's like, people move there, right, for that reason, because that was the only place they could have those conversations. And so now we're just moving our time rather than our bodies, like we're spending more time on this discord or on this, you know, message board or on this uh, zoom call, because that's where that's where the action's happening. So I don't want to say it's worse, because I think also, like, I'm a parent as well. And I worry, okay, are my kids going to have like, communication skills and like social skills if they're online all the time. But how much of our work is online, right? Like, I mean, it's probably more important to be able to write a, a good quick email that gets your point across than to have a deep conversation, unfortunately, because we just don't have much of those anymore. So hopefully we can do both. I also think that we have to make this digital stuff impact and improve local communities because that's ultimately where we live. And so I'm really fascinated by projects like City Dow, which is like buying land or Miami coin, where the city of Miami is selling their own token and using that money to then fund public goods in the city. So hospitals and schools are being paid um, by crypto. And I think a lot about education. So thinking about, you know, right now in the United States, we, we tax property to pay for our schools, like on a, on a K-12 basis. And so if you're in a neighborhood with expensive houses, you have more money for your schools, right? And that's like, creates a problem and so thinking about how can we reinvent these models with uh, new tools like actually can can maybe improve our in-person experiences too yeah yeah awesome i think that's great so olympia do you have any notes question i have one kind of last thing i want to ask scott about but okay no no, no. go ahead awesome so scott can you share with us and kind of the audience like what are you involved in? What are you working on? How can people can participate and how can people be involved? Or maybe like, what are you excited about and working yeah. about, on right now? Yeah. Yeah, I think the I think the thing I'm most excited about is creating use cases for a lot of these concepts. Because kind of like we talked about, like there's a lot of ideas. You can look like what, you know, Web3 could do. There's just not a lot of examples. And so I run a company called Ed3 and we consider ourselves a studio. So essentially we're building projects to try to implement these ideas into use cases. So sometimes that's our own projects, crazy stuff we come up with. A lot of times it's clients who come to us and say, hey, we want to build a course about this or we want to scale or try something like that. We help them develop you know, what they want to build. So, so that's what I'm working on and I'm excited about. I'm really excited about the intersection of the, the public good with technology. So essentially, how do we use what we've built for, for the, the greater community, right? Like not just uh, to make more money, but to actually create, leave a better world for our kids. And I, I think I'm really, right now, I'm really deep in credentials because there's a lot of debate going on. How do we build verifiable credentials that can be transferable, but still maintain privacy that, you know, 
can be decentralized, but still have quality assurance. So I'm really interested in, in that kind of d- discussion space. To me, it's like when they were developing the rules for email, you know, the protocols, the FTP, like that's where we are right now with these credentials. And if we can get it right, then we have the building blocks for people to start companies and launch projects. So that's a, a, a long answer, but, and I'm very available to communicate. So if people want to connect uh, on Twitter, I am at Mr. Scott Meyer. So Mr. Scott Meyer. My website is uh, ed3.gg. So ed, then number 3.gg. Uh, I write every week basically on edge scaling education. So a lot of articles and, and you can sign up for the newsletter there to kind of see what I'm thinking about. Awesome. And we'll have links, by the way. I'll, 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 I think I have all the sure. links you mentioned, but we'll have links for people to go yeah. to and, and everything else. So awesome. Yeah. So Scott, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate everybody uh, joining yeah. in and, and listening. And uh, let's continue the conversation on, on this topic. Very interesting. And thank you so much for your insights and, 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 and kind of generosity with your thoughts, Scott. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Send me a link when it's up and I'll, I'll share it out. And uh, good luck with all the other interviews. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Katrina. Yeah. Awesome. Have a great night, everybody.